there's just way too much going on in life, like you can just totally get distracted. And I feel like that with God, too. That there's a billion things in my life that is vying for my attention, that's drawing me away from Him, that makes it so, man, just really hard to concentrate on God and center up on Him. And my life, sometimes my spiritual life is like that. Man. It reminds me of my friend Joe. So Joe was a, uh, uh, Joe, Joe's a really, really cool guy. Joe Everly, his name. And he was, uh, he, he was living in the, uh, the Midwest, and he moved out to L.A. area. And he had two requirements. Uh, he said to his wife, he goes, all right, uh, I, you know, you can pick the house, and, and, and let's just, you know, you, you make this your, your dream and go for it. And, but there's two things I'd really love if, if we could consider as we buy a house. One, I need to be really close to the Pacific Coast Highway so I can ride my Ducati. Yeah, that's nice. That's a good way to connect with God right there, all right? So, and she's like, all right, cool. We'll, we'll try to get close to the Pacific Coast. And he said, here's the other thing, is I just, I would love like a little tiny outbuilding on the property, like a tough shed, a mother-in-law apartment, or whatever it is, you know, that, that I could just have as like a man cave. And she's like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll make that work. So they looked for houses. They found one in L.A., and it met all the requirements. It was fast. He could go out with his Ducati, and he had this little tiny, you know, man cave that he was able to, 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 to go to. And his whole idea for this, this little tiny outbuilding was that he would go there every morning and center himself and spend time with Jesus. So he starts to tell, tell me this story, and, and sure enough, it was great, and he kind of made it like, you know, put a, put a lawn chair in there, got it all worked up, right, a little tiny stereo and everything, and uh, he went there, and he, he started having his time with God in the morning, and he realized, like, man, this place smells awful. So he <laughs> got some incense, and, and he started burning incense, and it wasn't, it wasn't weird or anything, he's just like, okay, that helped, and he realized that, wow, man, that just, just it re- reminded him of old traditional ways, you know, and stuff, he's like, wow, that just really helps me connect with God. That's cool. And so he, he would read his Bible, and he's got this little incense going. And then, he, and then he heard about Gregorian chant. Have you heard this stuff? Yeah. And he's like, wow, I really like that. So he got a Gregorian chant CD, and he puts it in his, his stereo, pushes play. So he's got the incense going, the, the, the blinds are drawn, Gregorian chant's going, and every morning he would go out there and read his Bible. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. Until he realized that he was easily distracted. And so he would be reading his Bible, incense going, Gregorian chant, and he'd be looking down and he's like, wow, there's no molding on that part, side of the wall over there. I probably need to fix that. And the door jam's a little crooked. Oh yeah, get back to God. And there's a stain in the carpet. And he would go on and on and on and on. So what he decided was, along with the incense, the Gregorian chant, and, and you know, drawing the, the blinds and making his man cave that no one came into, that he would actually take a blanket and just put it over his head. True story. So he did that, blanket, Gregorian chant, incense, everything's drawn, and he's sitting in there, and he's reading his Bible, and his wife walks in. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? He's like, concentrating on God, you know, <laughs> really, really hard. He said it was the most uh, uncomfortable experience, and she's like, great, good, glad you're having the man cave time, it's fine. And I hear that story, and I go, man, I so relate with that. I so relate with, with trying to center up on God when everything in my life is so loud. And sometimes I have a hard time hearing God, and, and it's difficult. I guess another way that, that I look at this is what lengths am I? What lengths will you in your life go to to actually make sure that you're cutting out the distractions and make sure that you're centering on Him? It's a little bit of what we're talking about today. 
And uh, we're, we're, we're calling this, 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 the title for today is Following the Leader. To what extent will you go to actually follow the leader and to make sure that God has your entire focus, that he is, is, is centered up in your life, that he's the one that you're gazing at, that, that he's the one that gets all your attention, that your focus is totally on him. That's where we're going to go this morning. I just, I need to tell you too that there, there's a lot of information. I feel like this is almost going to be like a, a, a seminary course this morning. And I really want to encourage you to grab your, your program and, and grab a pen, steal it with, from somebody, whatever, and make sure that you, you write down a few notes. Because here's what's really important about this. It's easy to come on Sunday morning and just kind of, you know, get it and then just, and just go from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. My hope for you though is that you would grab this and then continue the conversation in fact, there's some questions even in your program that you can, if you're going out to lunch today with your friends or hanging out this week, that you can take these questions and actually discuss it with one another and just kind of hone in on the topic and carry the ball, grab it and carry it and have this conversation with God the rest of the week. That's where it's actually really going to get some traction in your life, not, not just here and now, but during the rest of the week. So grab that, grab your program as you, as you get your stuff together. Here's, here's what I want to do. If you've not been here for the last couple weeks uh, for the, this series, I, I just want to recap for a couple moments. We've entitled this series, Everything You Need. It's been a long series because we go all the way back to Easter. Remember, we said that Jesus is everything that we need. And then we've jumped into Second Peter chapter 1 and, 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 and trying to figure out out of Second Peter, how do, we, how do we get everything that we need for life not, 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 not necessarily the tangibles is what we're talking about, but actually living the life that God has called us to. Second Peter says, you have everything you need. And it starts out with two things. First, it starts out with engaging God, engaging him. And, and what that means is actually entering into a relationship with God and, uh, and, and giving your life to God and, and engaging him. And when you do that, God says, I'm going to give you everything that you absolutely need for your life. So, so here's the passage. Let's just look at it really quickly. Second Peter chapter 1, just kind of recapping here. Verse 3 starts off this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter is saying here, here's his point, this is all yours. It's all yours. Everything that you need, everything that your heart longs for in God is available to you for this life to live in godliness by entering into a relationship with him. And so we've been showing this, this graphic, just kind of illustrate it, of, of two gears. And, 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 and we've, we've talked about this every week. Just want to put it, uh, again, forward for you. The big gear just being God continuing to turn and continuing to move. And, and, and the power behind it. And then our, our gear, engaging with God into relationship. Do we have it up there? Throw it up there for a sec. Engaging with God. So that when we do that, involve ourselves in a relationship with him and, and give our life to him. Here it comes, here it comes. Check it out. We spent a lot of time on that. Everybody ooh and ah. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So big gear turning and that when we engage with him, something remarkable happens in our life. We start to gain his power. We start to gain his character. Not my power. Not my character. God's character. When I engage, his will continues to give me strength. Second Peter says, divine 
power, everything that I need. So the first two messages of this series, we said it comes by knowing him, and then it comes by engaging him. See, it's not just enough to know him. I've got to step forward in relationship and engage him. Now, here's the thing. We rarely say this. If you've missed the first two messages in this series, please, 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 I beg, it's vital. You got to go back and you have to listen to the first two messages. Grab a CD, hit the podcast, go to YouTube, whatever it is. There's so many different ways to do it. To grab the first two messages here so you really, really can understand the foundation. Peter says, you need everything for life and godliness, know God, and engage them. And then Peter says, after that, add seven things to your faith. Seven things that you're going to add. And if you add these seven things, Peter says, you will be effective. You will, you will produce amazing, God will produce amazing fruit in your life. And, and, and when I read that, I just, let me just pause here for a second. When I read that, <laughs> I go, seriously? Engage God, know him, and then add these things? Hello? I'm all over that. I'm all over that, Right? This isn't, this isn't like, hey, seven ways to be, uh, you know, completely, nothing will happen again in your life and everything will be great. And that's not what we're talking about. Seven ways to engage God. I want that. I want that. So when we read this passage for the first time, we're like, okay, this is pretty darn important then. If, if that's what it takes to really engage God, to know him and access everything that I need, I'm doing that. I'm all in. And that's why we've taken now seven weeks to go through each one. However, here's the flip side. If you're feeling like, okay, I'm feeling kind of idle in my life, spiritually speaking, and ineffective, then the flip side is probably true. Have you engaged God? Do you really know him? Have you fallen into this love relationship with him and accepted his grace and know him? If you're feeling ineffective and, and idle, Peter says, okay, then you probably are not engaged with him. When you engage your life, it will keep you, Second Peter says, from being idle, from being ineffective. And then add these seven things, and it will turbocharge, supercharge your faith. Wow, that was a long recap, all right? That's where we're at today, but I think it's really important because now we get to verse 5, and we pick up the next thing to add to your faith. Look at this, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. We've talked about all these. To self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, and here's where it is this week, godliness. Godliness. So quick, don't, don't think too long about it. Quick, in your mind, come up with a definition of godliness. Go. What is it? Godliness is, fill in the blank. In your mind. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, no, it's all good. Right? Okay, you got it? You got it? Okay, here, here's, here's what I think. There's, there's a ton of answers, but I think, I think the vast majority of people would say, maybe not you, but the vast majority of people would say that godliness, kind of in the English language, is just kind of equates to being supremely good. I think that's how most people would use that. Certainly people that maybe have, have, have not, have not you know, uh, studied this or, 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 or been exposed, exposed to this, but, but maybe godliness equals just being extremely good. Because we say that, we go, wow, he's a godly guy. And I think what we sometimes mean by that is just he's really good or she's really good. And, 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 and we're speaking of morality here, right? 
that they're just kind of living good life. So they're, they're godly. However, let's, we got to peel apart this word because there is a deeper, much deeper meaning to, to godliness than that. It goes way beyond morality. And to do that, we got we to actually look at what the Greeks said about this word. So here it is up on the screen here. The Greek word for godliness is eusebia. Eusebia. Say it with me. Eusebia. I'm going to use this word so much today that you're going to be at lunch today ordering or doing whatever. You're going to be like, Eusebia, because I want you to really remember it, all right? Can I have a side of Eusebia with that? So here, here's the, the definition of it. Eusebia. Are you good? Eusebia. Say it again. Eusebia. Great. You'll say it several more times before we're done here. It's this Greek word that is used to express the idea of deep reverence. Deep reverence and awe. Okay? Got that? Deep, this awe. Wow, this wow deal, this deep reverence, this deep awe that leads to respect and worship and obedience. That's, that's what godliness is. So wherein godliness in your life may look like goodness, godliness starts way before goodness shows up. It's this deep awe, this deep respect, this, this idea that, oh man, I am, I am obeying and I'm doing respect and I'm, and I'm worshiping God because of what I see. Because there's this, this unbelievable reverence, this respect that I have here. This attitude of worship that then fleshes itself out as goodness and fleshes itself out as obedience. Now see, that's different than how we use the word godliness for the most part in this world today. Oh, you're just good. No, it's just not being good. It's about focusing on the one who is good. And so what Peter is saying here, he says, so take godliness, take Eusebia, take all of that, add it to your faith, and the result is a life that's obedient, a life that, that is worshiping God. That's what godliness actually is all about. And so if we were to summarize it, I would actually use this phrase. I would say godliness really equals god centeredness in my life. Uh, There's some good questions that come out of that then. Now we have to ask, are you a godly person? Is there godliness in your life? And the way you answer that is go, what what am I centering up on? Especially when we started this off with all the noise and all the distractions and all the things that pull. What am I centering myself on? This idea that everything I have in my life, everything that I am, every all that I have and the core of who I am, does it revolve around God? Is it God-centered? Centered on Him, not on me. Centered on His will, not my will. His strength, not my strength. His ideas, again, not my ideas. God-centered on Him. So that, if that's true, then what I'm actually doing is I'm positioning myself. I'm centering up on Him. I'm positioning myself then to say yes to Him. That's what godliness is. Is, is God-centering in my life so that I would say yes to God. So again, where goodness is tied to morality and like the practicality of life, godliness is pleasing God in every aspect of my life. Because I look at him, I'm like, oh, you are so worth pleasing. Look at you. you you're so worth living. Look at who you are, God. It like compels me to want to obey you. It compels me to want to center up on you. It compels me to do what you want me to do because look at who you are. That's the idea. But there's another part of this. The, throw Eusebia back up there. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm pulling that on you, but just throw it back up there. Look at the word there. There's a root in there. Do you see it? Oh, 
I'll just tell you, and you'll, it'll, it'll come up here. Eusebia, seep, 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 there it is, and it's gone. So <laughs> the second part of that is seeb, S-E-B. Now, the, the, root, the root here actually gives us another idea of what Eusebia is about. So if Eusebia is, is this worship, this awe-inspiring uh, reverence that leads to obedience, Seeb actually talks about a spatial relationship, meaning that, that in the midst of godliness, I have to actually distance myself just a little bit and stand back. Isn't that weird? So I have to stand back. I look at God. I see who he is in awe and reference, uh, reverence, and I stand back spatially from him and distance myself from him. I fix my eyes on him. I follow him. But there's this dichotomy that I step away. I put some distance so I can soak it all in. Clear as mud, right? So <laughs> here's, here's the idea. Um, in the summertime, we almost every Monday, not, not every single time, but pretty close, we strap the kids on our, our backs, you know, kids are hanging off of us, and we, and we go hiking, and we, we head out. And, and these mountains, oh, we, can, can you just agree with, we live in an amazing place, don't we? I mean, seriously, I love to brag about Salt Lake. I'm like, you ain't got mountains, check these out, you know? And, and like diss on other cities. I'm like, look at this. Look at where we get to live. This is phenomenal. So every time we go up to Park City or g- jump into the mountains, I say to Beth, I'm like, why are we not doing this some more? You feel like that? Like, I feel like I'm wasting. Come on, we got to get in the mountains. And so almost every, every single uh, summer, we jump into the mountains, and, and we go for it, and, and we spend time up there. And it's lush, and it's beautiful. Look, look at this picture here, right? Just, and this is actually from, from the Wasatch Mountains, right? This beautiful trail just carving through the mountains, and there's meadows. And, and, and I mean, you can get everything, every bit of landscape and terrain. It's just so gorgeous through beautiful forests and everything. But here's the deal. Even though you're in it, you can't always see the whole mountain, right? And that could be anywhere in the world that looks green and has trees, right? So, I mean, that could really, that could actually be Tucson, Arizona. That's what, that's what Mount Lemon looks like in the desert. All right. Well, that, you know, and you pull back from those mountains, it doesn't look that great, but, but that could be, that could be Tucson. That could be Canada. That could be anywhere. But when you're in it and you're enjoying it, you love it. You totally love it. Now, now here's a different picture for you. One of, one of the most sought-after places to live, just because the views are amazing, is Wasatch, isn't it? What a great Wasatch Boulevard. There's cool houses up there in Sandy area, and this, this, this beautiful road that just kind of winds all along the foot of the mountain, right? Just gorgeous, man. And you get up there, and, and, and you just, you got the best view of what? The city. Which is interesting, because that's not what I first thought of, and this is my own just humble opinion, that's not what I first thought of when I, when I drove into Salt Lake City. I didn't go, look at the city! I went, what? look at the mountains! Right? Look at, look at, and that's cool, look at the mountains! But here's what's interesting. When you're at the foot of the mountains, this is the view you get of the mountains. Beth went out and took that yesterday. She's standing on Wasatch looking at the mountains. How, how tall do they appear to be there? A couple thousand feet? Again, that's not super awe-inspiring. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I mean, what, who wouldn't want to live there? That's beautiful. It's beautiful. But all the houses are turned the opposite way looking at the city for the lights. Because you can't appreciate the view of the mountain because you're so close to it. So you have to turn. But every once in a while, every once in a while, and it happened again about a week and a half ago, I found myself in West Jordan, way out there in West Jordan. And I was at uh, Dave Elsog's house, and I was standing out in front of his house, and this is the view that I saw. 
Wow. That's Seeb. That's spatial distance. That's stepping back and go, are you kidding me? Look at that. You can't see that when you're at the base of the mountain. You can't actually see that when you're in the mountain. As beautiful as it is, is, you can only see that when you step away from the mountain. Isn't that amazing? That's what godliness is about. Now that definition of godliness starts to come alive because, because you can see that it's this reverence, this awe that you have to step back and take a look at and soak all of God in and go, look at him. Look at him. Which leads you then to obedience, that leads you then to centering your life upon him, that leads you to going, he's worth it. All of it. The majesty the grandeur, and it's that essence, that Eusebia, that then in my life, I start to restructure my life around him because he's everything, because he's everything that I need, everything that I want, everything that my soul longs for. So I become his disciple, and I worship him, and I follow him, and I step back, I follow the leader, and I just start falling in love with God more and more and more. The more I know about him, the more... The more I change the angle on him, the more I look at him, the more I run back and fall into his arms, the more I step back and go, oh yeah, oh God, that's, that's a great picture of you. You are godly. You are godly. You know the best example of Eusebia in God's word? The very best. We have to look at this because it'll tell us something about ourselves. The best is the life of Jesus. Jesus was all about Eusebia. And I know it sounds kind of funny to say the best example of godliness is Jesus, who is also God. But again, right, as, as he came, he was born both man and God, and he walked this earth in order for you and I to, to follow his example. He is the very best example of Eusebia because it was his entire nature. That's, that's really what his resume was all about. His resume was, I, I, I embody godliness because I serve the one who is godly. And so because I serve the one who is godly, I am godly. It, it affects my life. I, I obey him. Check this out in Isaiah chapter 11. Here's exactly who he was. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is talking about Jesus here. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Look at that word fear there. In the Hebrew, it is the same word as the word in Greek, which is Eusebia. Jesus came out of this, this lineage here. This, this lineage of, of, of uh, Jesse, who was King, uh, King David's father, came out of this. And, and it says here in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord came and brought him many things and, and fell upon him and, gave, and brought him these things, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and, and then Eusebia, so that the Jesus, when he lived his life as an example for you and for me, we see this life that is God-centered, totally God-centered on his father, Right? Totally doing whatever his father wanted, worshiping, giving reverence to his father, and total submission to his father. That's Eusebia. Okay, John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus actually says, this is what I do. Look at this. Jesus replied, I assure you, the son, of, the son can do nothing by himself. What a great statement there. 
<laughs> Jesus is saying, I don't do anything by myself, but you're Jesus. Right. I don't do anything by myself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Where are Jesus' eyes fixed? Eusebia, totally fixed in reverence and awe on God, which then fleshes out as obedience. I only do what I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. All right, here's my translation. Jesus is saying, my daddy's calling the shots. Dad calls the shots. Whatever he does, I follow him. He's the leader I follow. So whatever he does, I do. If I see something that he's doing, I do that. If I don't see what he's doing, I don't do that. I just do what he does. My eyes are totally fixed on on him. Godliness, Eusebia, I keep saying it because I want you to order Eusebia for lunch today, right? Eusebia, he centers his life on the Father. All right, so here's one other great example of this. Go back to Jesus' last day, right? And he's he's, uh, in the garden on the night before he was betrayed and hauled away and then crucified. On that night, he's in the garden. And what's he doing? He's on his knees. What's he doing? He's crying out and he's praying and, and he's agonizing because he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to go through with this, but he knows he's going to th- go through with it because the Father is saying, go through with it. The Father's calling the shots. And so this is agonizing. He's, he's just sweating big drops of, of blood, the Bible says. And, and you got the picture? Got the whole picture there? Okay, look at this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his, same word, Eusebia. How was it fleshed out? Reverent submission. Reverent being he stepped back out of respect and awe for the Father worshiping him submission that he fully obeyed everything that his daddy told him to do so here's where peter picks it up then in second peter chapter one peter is saying when you engage with god when you know god then take this aspect and add it to your faith and it turbocharges your faith it it, it takes your relationship with god and just blows up exponentially so that he is your focus, and it fleshes out Eusebia into your life through obedience and respect, doing what your father asks you to do. And what's interesting here is that if Jesus is the total definition of Eusebia, because he is, he's the one that Eusebia was sat on his shoulders through Isaiah. He's the one that brought Eusebia through the line of Jesse and David. Jesus is Eusebia, that when I engage God through Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, and I engage that I get all of who Jesus is. Isn't that great? So it's not like, i got to figure out Eusebia. Well, no, I may have to train for that, but Eusebia is given to me when I come into God. When I come into relationship with Him, I get of all who Jesus is. Because He pays for it. He changes my heart. I'm a new creature. I get Eusebia. My heart longs then to put God at the center. And and then I'm in great turmoil when God isn't at the center of my life. (laughs) Because I'm designed to have God, Eusebia, at the center of my life. Isn't this a great word? Say it with me. Eusebia. Eusebia. We will never forget this. So in other words, if I'm going to bring Christ into my life, if I'm going to, to, to bring the godly one into my life and engage him and know him, then what I'm gonna get is this reverence, this respect, 
and I'm going to follow the leader as Jesus followed the leader. I'm not going to just simply look at Jesus' moral behavior. While all good, that's goodness. I'm going to look at how Jesus revered the Father, how he did what the Father asked him to do, how, how, how he was filled with humble submission. That's Eusebia. But there's another part of this then. There's a part of working it out then. Because <laughs> your mind has probably already gone there. So if, if, if I'm designed for Eusebia, designed to live godly, how does that flesh out in my life? What does that look like, right? How do I actually do that? Because I do have to engage. So look at this. In 1 Timothy then, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, this word just pops up everywhere. Have nothing to do with godless myths or all old wives' tales. Rather, train. Rather, train yourself to be, there's the word, it's actually the root of the word, Eusebia. Train yourself to live in the way of Eusebia. Verse 8, for physical training is of same value, but, there it is, Eusebia has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the future to come. So here's the perfect combination then. The perfect combination is I receive godliness into my life because I'm receiving God's life into my life. And then, as it says here in Timothy, I train then. I train my life to live in that godly way. That's how you add godliness to your faith. I train and I pursue it and I go for it and I follow the leader. And as he gets into my life, I train to get into his life. As godliness comes into me, it fleshes back out through reverence and, and obedience and, and, and worship to him. It's a circular deal. Godliness in, godliness out. I train for it. I go for it. I live. I engage. You know who's the best at this? Phelps. Phelps, this guy trains and trains. His whole life is about training, right? It's to win all the medals. Do you think he would actually be pretty good if he didn't train? I think he actually probably would. <laughs> I think he's got a great gift. And somewhere along the line, somebody looked at Phelps and goes, wow, you have a great, look at your dog paddle, four years old, right? You should just expand on that. You should go for it. He probably had a gift, some kind of talent that he went for. Because I know even with the, the insane amount of training, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm certainly not wearing a Speedo, but I'm not, I'm not able to do that. Right? So Phelps trains, he goes for it. He engages. He beats his body in submission, whatever it is. He's focused. He's looking at it. He's training his body. How do you and I engage godliness then? You train. You go for it. You do whatever it takes to get God's character into your character. There's a lot of ways to do that. One is just soaking in his word. Go back to Joe Everly for a second, right? Gregorian chant, insects. He went, towel over that, right? Whatever it took, that's what he did to make sure that God was centered up in his heart. Whew, that's strange. Yes, that's training. Here's another great opportunity coming up on July 22nd for you men, 27th for you men. There's a great conference coming to town called Ignite, where this is the topic, man, for guys to come together at the East Center. We're all going. Mark it. Check it out. 27th on your calendar. To, to train, to make sure that you center up on God so that every aspect of your life then is fleshed out. His character, His power, His will in my character in my life, practically every day. Let's change gears for a second, though. 
Because then what does it really, really, really look like? How do I know that I have godliness in my life? Because that's a, I think that's a fair question to ask. If someone were to say to you, are you godly? How would you answer that? And I think sometimes we like to go to the things that we do. I'm godly because I tithe. I'm godly because I go to church. I'm godly because I fill in the blank and we do all these things. But that's, that's skipping too far ahead. That's going to morality. I'm godly because why? Well, fortunately, in Colossians, there's a list of what shows up when there's godliness, Eusebia, present in our life. When we add Eusebia to our faith, this is what shows up here. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1, some of the characteristics that are true if you have Eusebia present in your life, starting at verse 10. I'm going to read the whole thing, then I'm going to go back and unpack it, so it's a little bit long, but hang with me here. As we pray in this, uh, as, uh, and we pray this in order that you may, now this is not the word for Eusebia, but this is like the definition for Eusebia, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. That's Eusebia. And this is how, this is how it fleshes out. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that... You may have great endurance and patience and joyful, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in, in the kingdom of light. For he has rec- rescued us from the, do- uh, the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Grab your pen. There's four quick indicators of Eusebia here. The first one is, if you go back, if you just look back there at uh, verse 10, the first one is, if you see be a godliness in your life, then there's going to be fruit that, that, that comes out from your life. There's going to be fruit in every good work. So what that's saying is there that every good work that you do, every good thing you do, as long as it's a faith choice. See, I can do good things all day, right? But as long as it's a faith choice, meaning engaging God, doing what he says, then what's produced? Good fruit. And so what you do is you look at your life and you say, is there good fruit being produced in my life? If there is, that's an indication of Eusebia, that you've added Eusebia to your faith, that you've centered on him, that you're following the leader. So every time I do that, really what I'm doing is I'm saying yes to God. That's what I'm doing. Yes to God, to whatever he has me to do, I say yes to him. And then there's fruit being produced in my life. Look at the second one here, verse 10. Verse 10, he says, not only just producing fruit, then he also says, growing in the knowledge of God. So part of living this this life that's worthy and pleasing to God out out of worship to him is not only that I produce fruit, but that I'm growing in my knowledge of who he is. In other words, I just don't have a bunch of head knowledge about him. Right? I can't, I'm just not simply spouting back facts, but this knowledge is turning into heart knowledge. It's actually migrating down into the core of who I am. I'm growing in the knowledge of him. Because just simply gaining knowledge, by the way, can actually be pretty, pretty, pretty boring if you're just memorizing facts. But if those facts start to take root in my heart and I grow in the knowledge of him, oh, okay, now that's different. See, a lot of you know my wife. You could guess at her height, five seven, nine eight seven, depending if she has heels on. You could guess at her weight. Let's not do that. You could guess at, you know, lots of things about her. You know that she might play the drums. And so you might have some facts about her. Guess what? I know her way better than you. I know her. Because these facts have actually gone into the soul of who I am, into the core of who I am. We're connected together. There's nothing boring about that. 
And the same is true. When I grow in my knowledge of God, there's anything but boring that I get to understand and fall in love with the maker of the universe, the most important person in the entire universe. And when I do that, grow in my knowledge, and when I grow in, in, in I see the fruit in my life out of the good works that I'm doing because I'm saying yes to God, that's Eusebia. I've added godliness to my faith. Look at the third one here. Third one is this, back in verse 11 here. Third indication that you're growing in Eusebia is that you're strengthened with God's power. Now, isn't this a cool one here? Because it's nothing that you're doing. That's what relationship's all about. It's God saying, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm doing it in two ways. Look at the text here. He says, through patience, I'm going to give you patience, and I'm going to give you endurance. Anybody want that today? Oh, yeah. I need that. Okay, I'm just being real honest with you right now. I need patience. Beth, do I need patience? She laughs. Nice. I do. I totally need patience. Remember the grip, the six-year-old? I need patience in my life. When I'm adding godliness, God says, good, I'll give you that. Why wasn't it a bunch of other stuff? Because I needed patience and I needed endurance. Why wasn't it? Because he knows what we need. He goes, you add godliness? That's what I'm going to give you. Here's the fourth one. And I got to end. The fourth one is this. Look at verse 12. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Verse 11, sorry. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. We just talked about that. So that you might have great endurance and patience. And here's the fourth one. A life marked by Eusebia that I'm joyfully giving thanks. See, when I start to add godliness to my faith, what comes streaming out of my heart? Gratitude. Because I look at this God who is everything to me. <laughs> and there's thankfulness that comes. There's this joy that fills me. There's this, this worship. It's the same thing when I step back spatially and I look at the mountains and I go, oh, come on. Look, would you just look at that? Look at that. That's Eusebia. That's adding godliness why would I worship him so much? Because of what, what Peter goes on to say here. Look at this, verse 12. Because God has qualified me, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints for the Father's kingdom and light. For he has rescued us <clears throat> from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Paul says, why, why would you give thanks and gratitude and worship? Huh, because you're qualified. Roll it back seven weeks now. That's why you have to listen to the first couple messages. You have everything. It's like your whole entire, the document of everything you get is available. Do you want it? Go get it. It's yours. You're qualified. You don't have to earn it. You're qualified. You get it all. You get it all. That's why I worship, because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it all. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his, his, his gratitude to me. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve anything that God gives me. And Eusebia goes, but I look at you and I look at what you give me and I'm compelled then to live in obedience and to worship you. Are you kidding me? Just look at who he is. Look at what he's done. And the more I'm living with Eusebia, the more I'm living in a life that's worthy and pleasing, the, 
the more I allow my heart to be filled with gratitude, then the more I experience His power. And the more I experience His power, the more I know Him. The more I know Him, the more fruit that pops up into my life. And the result of adding all that to my faith, say it with me, Eusebia. Did you have any idea that little word was packed with so much goodness? Now the question is, how do you get that goodness? <laughs> how do you get it in you? How do you do that? Hey, band, why don't you guys come up? One of the ways you get it in you and start to add godliness practically, i got to say it again, is to say yes to God. Hey, I want to throw down a challenge, seriously. Take me up on this. Just for today, just for today. Now, you may want to do this for the rest of the week. I'm just talking for the balance of today. Practice saying yes to God. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Yes Man. Do that. Whatever God asks you to do, just do that. Whatever he says, you do it. You follow the leader. Whatever he puts on your, you do that. Because when you do that, that's Eusebia. Because what are you doing? You're centering up on God. You're saying, you're, you're the most important thing. I will do what you say to do. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Whatever God does, as a follower, I do. Now see, for some of you though, today, it might actually just start with you saying yes to God himself. And just to say yes to what Jesus did for you on the cross. And today may be your day to do that. Even during this worship time, to just in the quietness of your heart, to just say, God, I don't understand you. I don't understand at all. This journey is long and complex, and there's more that I got to know. But I need you. I've spatially stood back, and I've seen your grandeur. You've showed up in my life. I've seen the majesty of who you are. I need you. And you say yes to God today. And if you're walking with him, if you're walking with him as a follower of Christ, there are areas of your life where you need to say yes to him. There are areas of your life where you're kind of hiding and protecting and kind of pushing back behind the, the furniture and the, 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 the walls of your life and you don't want to say yes. Eusebia says yes to God and follows the leader because the son does what the father does. Say yes to God. Here's the last thing. And we're going to actually do it. Eusebia how do you get that in your life? Not only just saying yes to God, but you get it in your life by worshiping Him. Uh, by standing out in front and saying, look at you. Look at what you've done. But see, I think some, some of you, and there's nothing wrong with this, but some of you are in the mountain right now. You're walking along the trail, and you're totally engaged, but you do need to step back and pick your head up and look at this God. Some of you are out in West Jordan right now and you're looking at the mountains and you're looking at this guy and you're going, oh, we'll look at that. And yet there's others of you that are kind of in between. You're sitting on the foothills and you're looking the wrong direction. You're staring out the city thinking it's the best view when really the best view is right next to you, right behind you. Eusebia takes root in your life when you turn to worship. <laughs> when you take your fingers and you just start pointing that direction. And he becomes the focus of your life. And you follow the leader. And however that fleshes out, it doesn't matter because I'm going to say yes to God no matter what he says. I'm going to say yes to God.
So when you hear somebody say, he's a godly man or he's a godly, she's a godly woman, there might be goodness there. But what you're really saying is they are centered up on the leader. Their life is centered. Let's do that. Let's center our lives right now. Let's practice Eusebia. Let's sing together. Let's worship the one, the grand one, who is so amazing. It's so worth every effort of worship that I bring. Let's do that. Another way that we worship is through giving back to him. You, you may have heard us say this, this, this offering thing, this, this giving back a little bit of what God has given to me is a way to show God, you're my leader. You're the one in charge. I do what you say. And so if you feel compelled to do that today, great. Do, as an act of worship to give back to him, not because of any pressure, because, because you're worshiping God. Let's do that. Let's practice Eusebia. Let's sing. Let's worship him. Let's center up on who he is and add godliness to our faith.